In regards to avoiding others because we're trying to remain holy, come on, really? Jesus was the holiest person that ever walked on this planet, and it was his holiness that caused him to hang out with people that the religious culture considered unclean. So, you know, think about this. Our ongoing involvement in relationship with others, especially the marginalized, begins with a profound grasp in our hearts of God's grace. Often our own selfish or fearful instincts are to keep our distance, but Jesus lets people kiss his feet. Think about it. He's the friend of riffraff and traitors and, you know, the unrespectable and drunks and druggies and prostitutes, mentally ill, the broken and the needy, you know, people whose lives are a mess. That's who Jesus hung out with. And he ate with them, hung out with them, and invited them to live life on a journey with him. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Welcome indeed. Good to be here. Good to be back with you. Hope you're having a good week so far. Hope you're enjoying this uh fall weather, at least where we're at, definitely things have tipped in. Um, as I was sharing with you, Tina, I got a little staycation recently, did a little bit of stuff kind of locally, because out here in the Pacific Northwest, it is kind of unlimited beauty <laughs> to explore. And we found after living here for 15 plus years, we've barely explored any of it. We just stay too busy and or we tend to vacation and get away. So uh, with all that's going on, we kind of did a staycation of sorts, but got to see some good stuff. And it was awesome. Yeah, it was really, really good. Feeling very rested and uh, grateful for that as well. Hey, I want to invite you to join us over on Facebook at the Everyday Disciple Podcast Facebook group, right? And, uh, you know, be a part of that community. Bring your thoughts on the episodes. You can you can come in there and talk about the episode itself, ask questions, share insights, or kind of all things gospel-related and discipleship-related, right? Um, anyway, there's thousands of people in there, and we're having a blast. Uh, join us over there. You can, you can look it up on Facebook, or you can just go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash Facebook. How about that? And I also want to be sure to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We we work hard on these these shows, these podcasts, and we drop one every Monday for three years now plus, I think. And uh, I'm really you know proud of what God's doing and how he's encouraging people. I don't want you to miss an episode. So would you subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast player you listen to these days. By the way, Amazon Music, I think it's called, it's part of Amazon's whole world of everything. They also have podcasts now. And uh, just like with Spotify, we, you can hear the podcast there. You can hear the Everyday Disciple podcast in Amazon now as well. So whatever platform you dig and use to listen to podcasts, would you please go ahead and subscribe? And if there's a way to... Uh, you know, rate the show or leave a little review. I really appreciate that as well. You can uh, find a lot of different places to check out the podcast by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash subscribe. How about that? Pretty easy peasy, right? Okay, today I want to talk about living as a friend of sinners and why Jesus was given this scandalous moniker and help us all maybe find a new commonality with the outsiders in our life, okay? Now, far too often, I've heard Christians say, somewhat sheepishly, but 
kind of with a hint of self-righteousness, that they really have nothing in common with non-Christians. And that's why they don't have many or any not yet believing friends. Or that, you know, people say often they don't hang out with lost people or allow their kids to because they're trying to remain holy and, and you know, they, don't, they want to become polluted by the world. I, you know, that seems weird maybe and hard to believe, but it's still out there a lot. And to those objections, I almost want to laugh. And I want to ask people if they've ever really read their Bibles or looked in a mirror. Because see, first off, uh, Scripture and all of history have shown us that the one thing we have most in common with every other human being is our sinful nature. Yet usually we let others' particular brand of sin and unbelief define them and divide us, when in fact we're all sinners in need of a Savior, Right? That's like, that's our common ground. Don't let that be the thing that divides us. That's the thing that should draw us to Jesus. We're all dying, literally, in need of a rescue. We're just alike. I had a friend once, uh, years ago, who told me uh, he thought there was two kinds of sinners, clean sinners and dirty sinners. Maybe you've heard me talk about this before, right? He said, clean sinners are those uh, people that grew up obeying their parents, and they tried hard at school, avoided drugs, and, you know, just avoided general debauchery, Um, and they may have come to faith at a real early age. And he says, but then there are those people that are dirty sinners, those who pushed the boundaries and tried everything life had to offer, and their particular brand of sinning was super evident because it all showed up on the surface, right? So which one are you? (laughs) I'm definitely a dirty sinner. Like, you're going to know probably where my unbelief lies, and it's going to show up, right? And kind of always been that way. And and I had a friend of mine that was saved and found a real, you know, early calling in his life to the ministry, and he was definitely a clean sinner, and he was like, man, I wish I was a dirty sinner like you, and I have more to talk to people about. And I'm like, nah, I don't know that you do, right? But to be clear, though, both are just as much in need of a Savior and have a common sort of bond or thread. It's their self-pride and belief that they're better than they actually are. Next, in regards to avoiding others because we're trying to remain holy, come on, really? Jesus was the holiest person that ever walked on this planet, and it was his holiness that caused him to hang out with people that the religious culture considered unclean. So, you know, think about this. Our ongoing involvement in relationship with others, especially the marginalized, begins with a profound grasp in our hearts of God's grace. Often our own selfish or fearful instincts are to keep our distance, but Jesus lets people kiss his feet. Think about it. He's the friend of riffraff and traitors and, you know, the unrespectable and drunks and druggies and prostitutes, mentally ill, the broken and the needy, you know, people whose lives are a mess. That's who Jesus hung out with. And he ate with them, hung out with them, and invited them to live life on a journey with him. Remember in Matthew 11, and it says the same in Luke, that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and everyone was saying, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. (laughs) It's interesting, because in that day, like, the worst thing you could be was a tax collector, but then they add sinners, right? So, I mean, Multiple times in the Gospels, that's what people thought of Jesus because of who he hung out with. If you were to honestly look at your life or church or maybe even look at the denomination you're a part of, could anyone ever bring this same accusation against you? Are you really a friend of sinners? 
I, I can remember when working at the mega church about years back that we were so busy with the programming and so tied up on campus with all the stuff that I, I remember thinking, I have no unbelieving friends. I just don't. I, I don't have time to. I really don't. Now, some folks respond to this Matthew eleven nineteen verse about Jesus being a friend of sinners, saying, no, Jesus is not a friend of sinners, only those who obey him. And they, they kind of try to cite John 15, 14, where it says, you are my friends if you do what I command, right? Like, that's their justification. You know, that is a horrible example of proof texting. Because if you look at that entire passage there, it has Jesus explaining how he loved his disciples and chose them while they were still jacked up and far from God. Can you imagine a parent saying to their kids, you're only my child when you obey me, otherwise I don't love you. What? See, that's crazy. That's the exact opposite of the heart of our father and his son, Jesus. See, it's, it's not only that Jesus befriended and blessed sinful people, they accepted him and treated him as their friend as well. And I love that. You know what I mean? It's not benevolent stooping like, well, let me go and treat these people like friends. They really saw Jesus as their friend. In Luke 7, we see Jesus at a meal in the home of a Pharisee, right? So a powerful religious leader back in those days. And, and it says, you know, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at this Pharisee's house, this religious ruler. So she came there with a, a big jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped all that, all that tear in his feet with her hair and kissed them and then poured her perfume on them. Notice that, like, because of Jesus' reputation in the community, this woman comes to him, risking the scorn of this Pharisee, and she then treats Jesus with a shocking degree of intimacy. It's not considered appropriate back then for people to let down their hair, much less to wipe people's tears and their feet with their hair, right? I mean, that would have been like, what are you doing? She clearly loves Jesus and feels certain that he's going to accept her and not send her away. And that narrative in the Bible there concludes with Jesus forgiving her of her sins and commending her for her faith. She doesn't even ask or reel off a laundry list of stuff. He just says, you know, your sins are forgiven, and he commends her for her faith. Many scholars believe that this same woman is Mary Magdalene, who would become one of Jesus' closest friends and followers throughout his ministry. So, you know, ask yourself, are, are we seeing as people of grace and acceptance, those who others feel safe to approach, even with their sin and screwed up lives? Are we willing to be a good friend to a person regardless if they ever believe what we believe or join our cause? Check this out from John 15. And this is from the, the message translation here. He says, I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is my command, love one another the way I love you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You're my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master's thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. Beautiful. 
Jesus is saying here, I think, to his disciples, I've been a friend to you even before you really got it or knew who I was. Now you'll be a good friend back to me if you go out and do what I did and what I'm calling you to do. Go be a friend to similar outsiders and disciple them to know and trust me. And remember he's saying that's how you're going to find joy and maturity, right? Jesus said that those who would walk in his ways and live as his disciples would come to know the truth that sets him free. That's in John 8, right? Are we willing to invite others to walk with us in the everyday stuff of life as we together learn to do good in the ways of Jesus? Or are we waiting till they believe everything we say first and then we'll start to do life with them? Do we believe that our own sanctification and the daily working out of our salvation will be alongside the unlovable? Because it will. <laughs> it really will. When, when we first moved out here to the Pacific Northwest of Tacoma, we worked hard to you know, figure out the rhythms of our city and our neighborhood in particular. You know, where did people eat? What parks did they regularly spend time at? You know, what did they do for fun? And one big part of the culture here is eating and hanging out at pubs and bars and stuff like that, okay? Um, they're a favorite place to go and see your friends and make new friends and all that, right? Real, po super popular, very much a part of our culture. Since many of our new neighbors in half the city seem to frequent pubs, we figured we better pick a few regular places and start hanging out there two or three times a week, okay, to get to know people. And it turned out that not only were pubs and bars a great place to meet people, but they were the perfect place to run into others that we had met elsewhere. Our neighbors, and that was kind of half the point, uh, people we worked with, people who worked with us, we owned a restaurant and all that, the folks at the tattoo shop that we <laughs> get our work done at, the young lady who works at the grocery store, we would see these new friends at the pub too. And as we got to know the names of the staff at these places, they remembered our names and they would introduce us to other patrons and their friends and their friends' friends. And all of this was really pretty easy. I got to be honest with you. We learned that all you really have to do is be nice to people, uh, ask good questions, get to know their stories, buy around once in a while, and, and be a great tipper, okay? Tip generously. Don't tip based on their performance. Tip based on how much God has graced you, right? Think about it. We don't, if he tipped us or graced us based on our performance, we're all doomed. So we don't want to do to be people. You know, everyone will remember you, by the way, when you tip this way and are, you know, you buy around and you're, they're going to be excited when you're around, okay? So, so doing this and living this way in a regular rhythm over time, I started to be affectionately referred to as the pub pastor, <laughs> right? The pub pastor. Uh, and, and in fact, there was this group of 20-somethings known as the Tacoma Party Crew, and they made me their chaplain, sort of. <laughs> they made uh, Tina, my wife, uh, their official TPC, the Tacoma Party Crew, their mom, right? The official mom. And this bunch who were friends with our grown kids started hanging out at our house for more and more meals as we talked and laughed and became a family with them. And through building relationships this way and being the unofficial pub pastor to a wide variety of friends and acquaintances, I've had the opportunity to, to counsel with people, perform weddings and funerals, pray with them, and for many, help people financially. You know, Tina's taught them to cook, how to set up household budgets, as friends and family, right? Not like a project, but as our friends. In a sense, what we've been doing is sort of reparenting the culture. Not that these friends don't have parents, but they're now coming to taste and see what it's like in the family of God 
and what it's like to be in a family that has God as their daddy and Jesus as their brother. Through hanging out and having an open home, I have to tell you, we literally have hundreds of relationships with folks at all kinds of various stages in their spiritual journey here in this part of the world and in our city. You know, what a contrast to what I had come from in years past. Remember I told you uh, just a few years you know, back, I didn't have one single not yet believing friend and I was a pastor? Yeah, I mean, so guess what we do when we move? Because we recently, a few years ago, moved just not very far from where we were. Well, we start having happy hours and finding where's our local pub to hang out and cafe, stuff like that. And it works. It works. Now, growing up, whether it was hanging around my neighborhood at school or on the playground or spending time with my siblings and cousins during family, you know, parties and celebrations and all, it was always important to feel like I was one of the cool kids, right? Can you imagine? You know, can you relate to that? Like, I wanted to be an insider. You know, no one likes to feel on the outs or be pushed to the margins of their social circles, right? We, we all want to be insiders and treated as such. But think about this. Jesus is the ultimate insider, right? He's God. And yet, he came and lived like an outsider, the ultimate insider, God himself, came and lived like an outsider. And he grew a beard. He took on the scratchy robe and handmade sandals of his culture to be with outsiders and sinners and outcasts, really to hang out with the uncool kids. And then he takes the sin of these outsiders and puts it upon himself on the cross. He trades his perfect life for their messed up, broken, and rebellious lives treating them like insiders in the kingdom of God. It's beautiful. I want to be that way. We're all outsiders. So which outsiders are you going to hang out with? Created in the image of our God, our beautiful divine God, we all have chosen a life outside of God's will, outside of his love and protection because of our own sinful choices and rebellion. But Jesus came and he changed the rules on the playground, loving the unlovable outsiders, offering grace and forgiveness. And his acceptance of us and the willingness to take our sins upon himself is why we willingly now go and do the same. We've been brought inside. We've been brought close to dad, forgiven, treated like an insider, no distance. We get to boldly approach the throne of grace. That's why we now want to go and do the same. We shoulder the pain and sin of others, taking their pain and sharing their burdens. We invite them to the party. We spend time loving the unlovable of the world in the same way and because we've been loved by Jesus. And it's not because we're supposed to, right? We don't have to live that way, but it's because we get to. You've heard me say that before. It's because we get to. In his now classic book, The Rag Muffin Gospel, uh, author Brendan Manning uh, talks about the importance of extending friendship to those who are not yet believers in Jesus. Maybe you've read this. He, he writes, to evangelize, which means to good news, to evangelize a person is to say to him or her, you too are loved by God in the Lord Jesus. And not only to say it, but to really think it and feel it and relate it to that man or woman so they can sense it. This is what it means to announce the good news. 
But that becomes possible only by offering the person your friendship, a friendship that is real, unselfish, without condensation, full of confidence and profound esteem. That's beautiful. See, when we offer this kind of friendship to unbelievers, we model the love of Jesus to them and invite them to join us at his table of grace and invite them on this lifelong journey together. That's, I think, what it means to be a friend of sinners. And in this day and age of um, unimaginable divide and people on both sides of every and absolutely all issues, more than ever, the beauty and simplicity of being a friend of sinners is going to be paramount. I hope, I hope going forward in my life, in your life, in the lives of the church, our family, that that we would be known as, and even if people think it's bad, a, a friend of sinners. Oh, let that be true of us. Really? Let that be true of us. Before I forget, I just want to remind everybody we're doing Cigars and Theology Live right here in the old Pacific Northwest at Team K Ranch at my house coming up here in just a couple months. And I want to invite you to do that. I want you to join us for that. I know you got to get out here. You got to fly out here and all. We're going to make it real easy, very, very affordable to come on out, have a meal with us, have a little happy hour, go through the whole Cigars and Theology. Then we'll unpack everything we did over breakfast the next morning. Here's why we did what we did. Here's the whole process that like I described in the last episode. And then I'm going to send you off with 12 months of that resource in my brand new upcoming book called Slow Burn, where I give you everything step by step so you can do that yourself, all the topics, questions, and all that. So just go ahead, check it out right now because there's only 30 spots. Go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash theology. You can get all the information and register right away before this thing fills up. And I'm just guessing it will. Now, as always, uh, let me leave you with the big three takeaways from today's topic. So if nothing else, you don't want to miss these. As always, you can get a printable PDF of the big three as a free download by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three. So here's my big three. Don't miss these, if anything, okay? First, the Bible and all of history have shown us that the one thing we have most in common with every other human being is our sinful nature. Our love of self and desire to create an identity apart from God and then have everyone else bow down to our glory is a common thread throughout all of humanity. But usually, we let other sins define them and divide us, when in fact, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all dying literally in need of a rescue. That's our common ground. Okay, and second, remember, Jesus is the ultimate insider. He's God. He's Lord of all, and yet he came and he lived like and amongst the outsiders. Jesus took the sin from all of us outsiders on himself at the cross. He traded his perfect life for our messed up lives, and in so doing, he treated us like insiders in the kingdom of God. He treated us like part of the family. We now get to live in a close relationship with our Father God, who has chosen to no longer even remember our sin. Wow. Okay, and then third, how do you currently make friends? I, I want to challenge you to identify one or two places or activities that you can engage to regularly hang out and build new relationships. And begin to invite just one not-yet-believing friend or couple over for dinner each week. 
Like, make that your goal. Set a date. You know, that, you know we're just going to do that Tuesday nights. We're eating anyway. Don't rush to get them saved, right? Take your time. Be a good friend, good listener. Remember, the mission is to make disciples. And after a while, after you've been doing this for a while with not yet believing friends, invite a Christian couple or friends over for dinner as well and start to cross-pollinate these relationships with your community. I want to encourage you to give that a try. Get started right away. (laughs) All right? Well, that's pretty much it for today. I hope you find this helpful, encouraging, a good reminder, maybe a bit convicting, or a call to the new, the better, right? The life we get to live. All right, I got to wrap this up. Please join us again next week, and we'll hopefully continue to help make discipleship and mission a whole lot easier for you. It's great doing this together. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day.